Blog Talk Radio. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. I have a very special guest, uh, and she's special for a number of reasons. Dio is a woman that I've known for many years, and we've actually been together in a program known as Pathwork at Seven Oaks in Virginia. Uh, we did that for a number of years together, which meant that, th- that we got to know each other very, very well. And Dee and I also uh, attended and uh, graduated from and were certified by a, a family constellation training program in San Francisco at the Borkin Institute. Now, Dee, actually, after graduating from that, has uh, spent a great deal of time focusing on family constellation work. So she's really become uh, the national guru in uh, learning about everything there is to know about constellation work and doing the work for people and offering workshops across the country. Uh, Dio is also one of the four people who've been certified by Bert Hellinger, who is really an individual that uh, formulated the ideas that underpin constellation work. So we've got a, a very prestigious guest, but also uh, quite a wonderful friend of mine. Thanks so much for being with us today, Dee. Oh, Bobby, it's a real pleasure being here. Well, and now see I've let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> you knew my, my real name is Bobby, not Robert. <laughs> well, there it goes. We couldn't hide the fact we've known each other for a long time. So anyway, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> now, the research says that in about 15% of the cases, and it varies, it can be 20%, can be 10%, depends on the study, Parkinson's might originate somewhere back uh, in a hereditary sense, that is in the family system. Now, is this, uh, in your opinion and your experience, simply a genetic predisposition? Well, I really can't speak to Parkinson's and the disease itself because I'm, you know, I'm not a medical doctor. However, what I can say is that in, in the work that we do, we find that each person, when we're born, we are genetically encoded from the generations prior to us, essentially cellular imprinting, that you see the, um, issues, patterns, illnesses, and disease that do get passed on from generation to generation to generation. And even as they come forward, um, with the origins being from the past, and I know this may sound strange, but the disease may not even belong to the individual, but stem so far back that they are carrying the disease for a member out of the past out of love or honor for them, which is truly at a subconscious or below the conscious level of understanding and knowing so that we don't even realize um, what's underneath this carrying of the disease. If a person then is carrying a disease from a family member, is it typically, for example, from a father or a mother, or can it go back farther than that? Oh, it can go way, way back. Um, actually, through a constellation, sometimes you can set up, um, and when I say set up, it's you put representatives for different generations. You might have um, maybe seven to ten people standing behind the person that's impacted, and someone in that line will start to get a physical reaction or an emotional reaction, and you can actually see where the root 
of the disease actually started and where the connection is from. So it could go back, um, I mean, it's just unlimited as to how far back it could go. You know, oftentimes we see it closer up to where maybe it's three generations, four generations, but it, it could go back even beyond that. So we're talking it could go back not just grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother. It could go back generation after generation after generation. And so this particular disease condition has been passed along generation after generation. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now, why do we do it? That is, why do we take on a disease from a family member? <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all, does no, it? No, especially if we don't know them. Hello, great, 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 great grandmother. I don't know who that was. <laughs> um, at a subconscious level, or actually I think, I think it's better or more accurate to say at the soul level, there is a desire in each human, I believe, that comes into the world to heal our family system. And we want to take away the pain. We don't, we don't want our parents to be suffering. So we'll do whatever we can do to heal the family system, but this is all at a soul level. We don't realize it at a conscious level. So we agree, you know, that's that's essentially as as the childlike love for the parent, we want to heal the system. Now there's another layer to this that um, one of the laws of the family system says that every member of the family has an equal right to belong. And when someone has been excluded, um, you know, pushed out, not talked about, not honored, then essentially we are pushing them out of the family system. Well, the, the law of the family system says you can't do that. So what happens then is a soul will come in and say, you know, I will hold that space for them in the system. So they hold the space, they hold the memory of that person that has been excluded essentially by carrying on emotions, feelings, uh, and actually even disease from that person, and then that keeps them present. So let's say, Vince, we're talking about Parkinson's disease with your organization. Let's say that um, uh, a a couple generations ago it wasn't understood, and the symptoms were embarrassing to the family. So they just um, maybe put Aunt Tilly away somewhere. So nobody would, uh, you know, know what, what was going on, or even know that she was there. Well, at a soul level, we all know, you know, that they're a part of us. They're a part of who we are, even if we're born generations later. We know at a cellular level who we are. We are these people. We're made up of their memories. We're made up of everything that that we came from. So at that soul level, we feel the imbalance of it's, it's not okay. It's not okay to have Aunt Tilly out of the system. So in a, an attempt to essentially balance the system again, we consent to taking on what she was carrying, which can be this disease. So then we start to have those same symptoms. We start to have those same feelings. Um, a lot of times, you know, maybe a medical doctor won't understand why the symptoms are the way they are, why they're not responding to certain treatments. And I think this could be a real key here, is that if certain treat, if the traditional treatments aren't impacting a disease, then that's a really a key that this has to do with a systemic hook. 
so that we can um, you know, then take a look and say, okay, we can confirm that through a constellation and then start to uh, make movements which will help to essentially unhook that so that we can then bring Aunt Tilly back into the system by including her in our hearts at a conscious level and in a conscious way, and then that frees up to continue forward in our healing. So if a person is taking on all that Antilly is, is this conscious to them? Are they aware of what they are doing? Oh, no, absolutely not. At a conscious level, we're completely oblivious. I mean, who would make that kind of choice? You know, when you think about it, it's like we we don't realize what's going on. This is a, this is an agreement that happens at the soul level um, that we're not aware of. Typically, we're not aware of consciously. Now, there are some times that um, we can see things like this as we learn about the laws of the family system. We can become more aware of what's going on. Like we might notice some generational patterns and say, "Oh, look, what's going on here?" Hmm. You know, there's maybe even a way that we belong in the family when we carry the same illnesses and diseases that are carried forward. So, you know, imagine if we come from a long lineage of being unhealthy. Well, if we're healthy, suddenly we have to relate in a different way that maybe just doesn't seem the same. And and it doesn't feel as comfortable, and maybe it could even there can even be resentments there. So you know that at that, that level, there's the reasons to also hang on to the illness and the disease. My mother had the symptoms of Parkinson's, and my uncle also had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do I need to be in some sense aware that I might be taking on Parkinson's, though I do not have that now, out of love from my mother and or uncle? Absolutely. Absolutely. To be conscious of that, and I think, you know, just to give you a healing phrase, would be any time that the thought comes up of your uncle or your mother, it's like we we uh, we often feel this compassion and we want to do something to help. And in the practical physical world, sometimes there are things that we can do to help, but then to hold a boundary at the emotional level and say, and this disease belongs to them, and it's for them to carry, and they have the strength to do it. So in acknowledging that, then we can help from a level of of being, you know, of doing what we can from a practical sense, but without taking it on ourselves. Because even though we essentially take it on, that's not going to do anything for their healing, and actually can weaken that person. When we try to take somebody's disease or illness from them, when we try to take somebody's fate from them, essentially, it literally weakens them. Where if we let them stand in their own fate and in their disease, then that gives them strength. That leaves them with their dignity, essentially. So, you know, at some place, not every person is carrying that disease for somebody else. Sometimes it is the fate of that person to hold it and and I mean that's just a part of their fate in the world and when that happens then those who come after for them to hold the position of it belongs to that person wherever it originated and that's where we want to leave it with love and we can help them in practical ways we can yet release their soul to carry it so that it belongs to them rather than belonging to us 
my mother died in 1998. Why in the world would it be rational for me to take on her Parkinson's when she's already dead? Of course it's not rational. (laughs) (laughs) We're not talking about a rational thing here, though. It's truly at the soul level. Um, So let me ask you this. Did you love your mother? Yeah. Okay. And so there's your answer almost right there, is that because of our love... We want to heal the family system. So even though she has gone at a soul level, there can be a tendency to want to still help her, even though she's you know passed on. At the soul level, the the intention of a child, and we're all children, is is the desire to want to heal. And I, I think what's interesting is that we really don't see or understand this. But through a constellation process, we start to see what's happened. And when we see what's happening um, in our family system in front of us, then it starts to make sense what we have been doing or what we have been attempting to do. And then we see, um, like maybe even their permission for us to leave it with them, their desire for us to leave it with them. And you know, it might be beneficial just to maybe describe the process a little bit around that. What do you think? Great. So, because uh, we've been we were talking about some pretty um, intense topics without much framework. So let me just give you a bit of the framework. The um, constellation model. There is a what we call the knowing field where information is available and as, uh, assessed or accessed. And when a person steps into the knowing field, they may begin to get sensations in their body physically to where they, um, they, they may feel things physically, they may feel things emotionally, have strange sensations, they may look at another person in the field and think, I don't like them, or I really like them, or they, their gaze may be drawn to somewhere where they're just specifically looking into one spot. And and this is all very organic. What they're doing is they're accessing that information from the field. And as practitioners, then we are trained to understand the signals and what that is saying to us. So we actually put representatives for the family members into the system, similar to what they used to do in or what they do in psychodrama, where somebody would play like they're your mother or play like they're your father. Only um, through this system, we're actually accessing that knowing field and are able to um, <clears throat> put in representatives for people, whether they are dead or they are alive. And that information just organically comes out. Uh, you know, Bobby, I, I just... Oh, Robert, I'll try. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, many years ago, I think it was in, gosh, 2000 or 2001, when we were first... In this work, I, I have this little bit of skepticism to me. It's like, what, what are you talking about, this knowing field crap? You know, it sounds like a bunch of woo-woo, cuckoo stuff to me. And so, but I knew that people were feeling emotions when they were standing in it. But I thought, you know, if this is really real, why does anybody have to know a story? Because um, what would happen with the traditional work is the client would say, I'm suffering from blah, 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 and or you know whatever, and tell their story. And then the facilitator would put in representatives and say, okay, you be the mother, you be the father, you be the disease, whatever. And so I thought, oh, you know, well, why does anybody even need to know? And at that same time, talking to one of our 
um, most beautiful teachers in of this work, Gabrielle Bork, and I talked to her on the phone, and she says, oh, dear, you're not going to believe the way that we're working now. And she had started to work with representatives not knowing anything of the story. And that is so powerful. When you see people standing in this knowing field and the emotions come over them and the feelings come over them and you can see where the cords are, you can see if you are carrying that for your mother or not. Because just because this happens doesn't mean it's happening to you. Um, you know, just because people carry disease for other people doesn't mean that's what's happening in your case. So it's just a really organic way of being able to see truly what's going on in the family system. And you actually get to witness, I I like to call it kind of a dance of your own soul and of your family soul playing out in front of you. You just get to see where the dynamics are so that we can find out where are those hooks. Are there any hooks? And then make movements to help to bring relief to that family system. So this is a way of being able to find out information that otherwise I would never know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think the reason that people come to this work is if anytime there's something that's unexplainable with an emotion, illness, or disease, what is it that doesn't make sense? Then this is a good process to use to bring some sense to it, to find out what is it that's going on. And then there are actually healing movements that can happen to help um, bring resolutions and sometimes that resolution is being able to simply consent to your fate if a person then is taking on a disease from a family member though they may not know who from once that is released is it possible then that there would be no further reason for that particular disease state to exist there is no particular reason for that disease state to to remain However, the individual could um, help have it stay there. Part of it can do with cellular memory. What we find is it can be much easier for it to resolve. A lot of people walk away and are completely released from disease immediately. Others, it's a slower process, and over time they find relief. Uh, It's kind of like blowing up a balloon and when you blow up a balloon and then you let some air out it it kind of comes back down again but it never comes back down all the way as being to being empty so it's a matter of holding that healing picture to keep the balloon inflated i don't know if that made sense mm-hmm. as an analogy or not but um you know sometimes our brain will you know and our cells hold memory of pain and this is what you're supposed to be so we we have to work at that cellular memory level as well to create new memories of healing and you know robert i did get that time didn't i um robert you have so many wonderful um healing tools that that you are working with people with that can really help move them forward in releasing the disease to be able to step in to be fully healthy and i think one of the biggest keys then can be working with our children in teaching them how to leave what's ours with us and not carry on things further forward into the system so essentially it can stop right here and the um, the generational carrying can end 
We're going to take a short break and be back with DEO in just a couple of minutes where she's going to talk more specifically about how constellations are actually formed. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and you're listening to my interview with Dee Woe. She has become a national leader in constellation work and really is uh, seen as the individual that uh, uh, is trained in being able to facilitate constellations uh, to be uh, basically a mentor. So it's, uh, it's quite, a, quite an honor and a privilege and an opportunity for me to be able to interview Dee about uh, her wisdom and her knowledge on how constellation work is actually done. I will actually devote a component uh, at Jump Start to Wellness on constellation work. The Jumpstart to Wellness is a live event that we will hold at Parkinson's Recovery on November 30th, which is a Monday, and December 1st, which is a Tuesday. It's a, a two-day live event coming up just uh, after Thanksgiving. I urge everyone who is scheduled and planned and registered to attend to listen to this interview. So if you have friends who are also attending, please be sure to urge them to listen to the interview. I'm not going to give any explanations about what this Constellation work is all about. Uh, the whole intent of Jumpstart to Wellness is experiential. And so I'm not going to be doing any talking, lecturing, or explaining. Of course, I'll answer whatever questions uh, might surface. What we're going to actually do is work with this exciting technology and help people be able to clear any entanglements that may be present in their own family systems. So if you're uh, planning on coming to Jumpstart or if you know people who are, urge them to listen to my interview with Dee Woe on Family Constellation Work. Back to Dee now. So, Dee, can you tell us some about the origins of what is called family constellation work? Sure. Uh, Bert Hellinger is truly the man that we um, give accolades to for bringing this work to the surface. He's from Austria in Germany and has been working with this for oh, probably since about the 50s. And I won't go into a long history. You can always Google his name and find out a great deal about him. He's written a number of books. I will tell you probably one of my personal favorites is called Acknowledging What Is, Acknowledging What Is by Bert Hallinger. It's a very basic book. Um, it, it resembles psychodrama, I think I mentioned a little bit, with the way that the sessions are held out. And then there's a lot of theory that's taken from a couple other folks like Ivan Boris Meunier Nagy, who is a famous famous psychotherapist from, I believe, the late 1800s or maybe early 1900s, that really come up came up with the theories on transgenerational issues of how we carry uh, from one generation to the next. And what Bert discovered in just making observations around the work is he came up with what he calls laws or the the laws of the family system or the orders of love and actually one of the phrases that i've coined is it's the laws universal laws of the family system Uh, many of us are familiar with universal laws gravity is one well if you sit under an apple tree and apples are falling you know the apples are going to fall and there's not going to be anything that you can really do about it so when you know about the law then you can work with it move out from under the apple tree, 
<laughs> rather than continuing to sit there and say, dang, you know, I, I'm really getting tired of these apples hitting me on the head. I don't like this. Well, when you understand the laws, then you can work with them. Otherwise, they can tend to beat us up uh, a, a lot. So, you know, the law of reflections is another universal law. What's, what's on the inside of us gets reflected on the outside of us. And there's a myriad of universal laws. And what we find is that there's also universal laws at play within the family system. Now, in your readings, you're not going to come across the kind of terminology that I'm using right now just because that's my way of describing it. But um, I feel like it's the it helps to understand what we're talking about in that, you know, it's, it's like, well, gosh, we can either work with this and make our lives easier, or if we don't know about it, then there can be a lot of suffering unnecessarily in our lives. So I think I mentioned the um one of the key orders of love is that every person has an equal right to belong in the family system. And when that is not the case, then there are consequences for the rest of the family system. So, And we don't realize it all at a conscious level. What happens is that we see where we're out of balance when we are doing a constellation. And so we just know people come when they're suffering. And then we do a constellation, and then the, the, we see what, oh, okay, here's an order of love that maybe was distorted. Um, we can also find that through a lot of different actions, almost everything is really rooted in love um, at the foundation and can tie back into this, even the ways that we behave. So conscious uh, is very different, con- you know, your way of, of conscious and somebody else's way of conscience it could be very different. So, uh, and it ties into and is related to belonging in whatever group and just knowing our lives, that uh, consciousness shifts from group to group. So let's say, for example, your family group is one system that we belong to, but we also belong to a system in our workplace and in our social circles. And each one of them has different laws of belonging. So think about um, maybe a, a young child or pre-teenager that in our family we don't smoke, and then that's one of the ways that we belong in our family. But now they're in school, and maybe a lot of their peers are smoking, and you can even, as I talk about it, maybe feel the emotional pull that they have that is like, oh, gosh, you know, in order for me to belong here, I have to behave in a completely different way. And it's actually acceptable. What's acceptable in one place may not be acceptable in another place, but we do it in order to belong. So, you know, that's really strong within us to belong in the system. So when we understand, you know, sometimes things that uh, maybe society doesn't accept on the surface, when we understand where they come from, then it doesn't excuse the behavior, but it helps us give us the understanding. So you know, let's say a, a mafia family has different ways of belonging than uh, a Pentecostal family, say, for example. Uh, yet the right and wrong are very different from one place to the other. So what happens is when our system is out of balance, there's pain and there's suffering. So in this work, we attempt to bring that balance back. So that's where we move into doing the constellations. And I just want to clarify that this has nothing to do with astrology. Um, 
constellations are um, something that's fixed, just like the orders of love are fixed. So it's like we rotate through the sky at night, so some things may look to change around us, like Mercury going into retrograde looks like it's going backwards, but it's still going forward. So it's like the patterns and the laws there are truly fixed. So that kind of just gives a little bit of explanation about the word. So I think in our society, a lot of people equate the word constellations with astrology. So you'd ask me to describe the process. Well, first let me ask if a suicide can disrupt the order in a family system. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, almost. And, and there can be various reasons for a suicide in the family system that could tie into um, the orders of love. Um, gosh, one of the cases that just comes to my mind is a, a man and a woman got divorced and it was a very bitter divorce and she was very angry excluding him from the system okay she remarried and there was a lot oh you know what they did get divorced her husband died hmm. and it was a mysterious death um, and there was some wondering about whether there wasn't something with her and her boyfriend at that time that tied into that. Well, she wound up marrying the boyfriend, and they had children. And the her former partner that had died was, I think he was 29 when he died, and on the same date of his death, when her son was 29, he committed suicide. Wow. And we found that like through that system there were a number of family members that had committed suicide in that same month when they were 29 years old and it's essentially there's and it doesn't make any sense at all i know it doesn't make any sense at all at the conscious level but it at the soul level is a way of bringing balance back trying to bring balance back into the family so it's very powerful um you know the 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 movements can be very powerful and we don't know why we're doing what we're doing is sometimes now bobby i'll uh give you an insight that we've often found in parkinson's disease and and the only way that we find insights are just by seeing it happen and just because it happens maybe and i'm just throwing this statistic out there but just because it happens 70 percent of the time doesn't mean that that's going to be the case every time but and we've found in a number of constellations with parkinson's is that there is some sort of murderous rage somewhere in the family that someone wants to commit murder but they are not going to so they suppress it and a lot of the shaking from the parkinson's comes from that internal cellular programming from the generations back of wanting to commit that murder. So can you feel that energetically when you get so angry that you just shake? So, so it would have been better for the murder to be, have been committed, I, I guess. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> if just I done it. I don't know about that. But one of the things that can be helpful and actually sometimes even in constellations we'll do this, is work with the client to release some of that rage to where, you know, sometimes if a client can just scream the words, I kill you, very loudly, 
and just feel that emotion of the rage that comes from, well, you know, either themselves or their ancestors before, then that can often release it. I mean, sometimes just working with them, you start to see the shaking subside as they step into expressing that rage that's hidden there at a cellular level. So the feeling may be there, but the person may not have any clue where it's coming from. No clue at all. It's as if it's not even them. It's from somewhere else. Right. So, you know, they might, one of the things they could ask themselves is to look at the history of their family and say, well, who would uh, have cause to have that kind of rage? You know, maybe somebody was really severely betrayed or abused or, or something to where their soul would just have such rage inside of them that was never expressed. And so then here at the cellular level, it's being expressed through the disease. And this may be replicated generation after generation, so the actual origins of unrequited anger in this case mm-hmm. could be, let's say, a 1,000 years ago. Sure. Or 2,000. Yeah. And so basically it's replicated uh, generation after generation uh, over the years. It just happens right. over and over and over again. Absolutely. Is it really possible to stop it? Sure. Sure, it is. And part of it is, now, please don't go out and murder anybody. (laughs) Right, that's not the point. (laughs) That would not be a good solution. No, that's right. That's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) Uh, Well, one of the first things to do would be to identify if that is the case in this family history or not. Because it's not always the case. So, but that's just one of the patterns that they have identified that comes up um, quite often in Parkinson's. But it, again, it's not going to be, you know, it's an always thing. So you would want to find that out, and you would do that through a constellation. And actually through the constellation, you can get some release from this. And then just working with releasing um, rage can help with that shaking. So finding... Um, safe ways to move that energy at a cellular level. And I think that, you know, Pathwork, um, the school is, is a school for spiritual studies that they do very well. If you feel, you know, Pathwork helpers do a very good job of helping people move that rage. Even though you don't feel rage personally, you know, it's there at that cellular level and needs to be released out of the cells. And when you do that, and, and it's not sometimes it's not just a one-time thing, because there, you may have, just as you said, thousands of years of, of this uh, coming through, but as you allow yourself to process that, then the symptoms start to, or can start to reduce. So um, I think in our society there's such a stigma with um, anger and rage and you know, I think that you know, a lot of illness and disease stems from our not understanding that there can be healthy ways to express this that cause no harm to ourselves and others. So being able to work with some of those modalities can be extremely helpful. Many people who are listening to this interview may be now thinking, I have children and my children have grandchildren. Should I be concerned about the possibility that they may be taking on the illness that I have? Sure, sure. Because, I mean, that's just the historically um, something that happens. 
I think that one of the gifts of understanding and knowing the work is to be able to have communications with your children, to to get clear with them that you know this belongs to me and leave it with me, and uh, and they may not even understand the conversations, but you know it's not for you to carry, and so let me carry it in my way, and um, you know sometimes you know I guess actually one of the other orders of love is that uh, there must be an equal balance of giving and take. And we see that in relationships. If one person is overgiving and one taking a lot, then that relationship uh, eventually fails. Now, the one alteration to that is when it comes within the family, then it's the role of the parents to give and it's the role of the children to take. And we often see children wanting to be the the ones taking care of and and that's something that I think is very important to try to do whatever we can to relieve our children of having to take care of us as much as possible um, sometimes as we get older then you know they have to but there's also a stance that can be held even when they're taking care of us that we are still the parent in the parental role um, so that we can still hold that. That will help help us hold on to our strength. Um, so, but to, you know, let them know that, that this is not, this is mine to carry and not yours. Leave it with me. For many people, it still may be confusing. After all, I'm a parent. I'm the adult. I'm the big one. I'm the one who taught my children lots of things. They were little. I was big. Why in the world would they feel like it's up to them to take on anything that's really my issue? Well, just for every reason that you just said. (laughs) (laughs) They've given us our life. They gave us our life. They, you know, they taught us. They, you know, our parents gave us everything, so we 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 love them, and so we don't want them to hurt. And we would rather, you know, how many times do you hear people say, "I wish it could have been me. Why couldn't that have been me?" I, you know, I would take that from them in a minute if I could. And sometimes that's very conscious, even. But the soul of the child always wants to heal that, heal the family system. So at that that uh, unconscious or subconscious level, they're wanting to heal the system, and we don't recognize. I mean, consciously we do know that that doesn't work, but underneath that, at the soul level, the soul of a child doesn't realize that that's not going to heal the family system. If a person decides that uh, they do want to do a constellation of uh, themselves or their family, Will it have an impact on anything other than just them? It sure can. Um, it, I mean, this this type of work, one of the things that I love about it is that healing can happen for the client, for generations back, as well as generations forward. So, you know, who, whoever brings the work as the client, the healing impact can just radiate out. Uh, from you know, as I said, generations past to generations forward, and one of the things is you you may literally see shifts. It's like the client comes and does the work; the whole family doesn't have to show up. Um, but you can see shifts, oftentimes immediately, throughout the whole family. 
um, I'll give you an example. I had a woman come who was a uh, she was the client, and, and in her constellation, she realized how much she was trying to take on for her mother. So much so that her mother called her mom. Wow. Now imagine a mother calling her child mom. And this is the way it had been in their family for years. I think the woman was about 39 or 40 when she came to me. And we did some work at the Constellation where she was able to, you know, acknowledge that her mother was the big one, she was the small one, and that she was going to let the mother carry it for herself. Two weeks later, she went to visit her mother. She said the first time in her life that she could remember that her mom did not call her mom. Uh. And, you know, things started to shift. And sometimes, you know, as the children, I mean, sometimes as parents, uh, we want a break, and it'd be, it sure be nice for our kids to carry something for us. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes as, you know, the children, we, we train them to say, you know, this is not mine to carry. This is, or, you know, maybe there's issues between the parents. It's like this is between, uh, you know, you and my mom or you and my dad, whichever, you know, partner they're talking to. And, and um, this is, you know, uh, this is not for me to help with. It's, this is something you guys have to work out. And in doing that, you actually strengthen them when you allow them to carry their own issues. So you, you truly uh, can shift the pattern for the generations in the future. I mean, regardless of the origin, maybe you are the one with Parkinson's, and it did originate with you, and this is your fate. What a gift to be able to stop it with you and not pass that on to future generations. So we'll continue this at our next uh, segment. And for right now, I want to take a break, and we'll be right back with D. Yo. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. You're listening to my interview with Dee Woe. Dee and I both uh, participated in and graduated from a training program uh, that equipped us to be able to facilitate family constellations. Both of us then have done these facilitations for many, many, many groups in many different contexts, uh, both uh, in groups as well as uh, with individual consultations over the phone. As a part of our very extensive training program, we also had to do constellations for ourselves, for our own families, so we could really understand the true impact of what unconscious dynamics and entanglements in family systems can do for our own lives. I want to give an example of what one particular constellation I did for myself revealed to me personally. I had, since I was two years old, had a compelling uh, urge and energy that 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 was pushing me out of my family. All I wanted to do is to leave. I wanted to pack my bags and go. I carried around a little suitcase that was uh, actually a makeup kit of my mother's when I was three years old, and um, I I talked everyone into giving me a ride out of the house. Um, I ran, I rode with the milkman. Uh, I dreamed about leaving home. All I could think about every day was how can I earn enough money so I can take care of myself and leave. Why was that happening? And I also want to say that at the age of 18, uh, when I graduated from high school, I left home and literally never returned again. There were also large 
uh, gaps of time, four years, five years, six years, when I did not return home, even with my family, to connect with my parents and my brothers. Why was that? We did the constellation. We uh, set up, as you'll now better understand in the next segment of my interview with Dee, how this technically worked. We set up uh, myself, my mother, my mother's father, my mother's uh, mother, so my, my uh, grandparents, my mother, and myself. What was revealed is that my grandfather was basically ousted from my family system. He uh, had uh, committed a crime. He had stolen some money. He was uh, sent to jail for about five years. He had a very bad case of alcoholism. And when he got out of jail, he came to my mother's doorstep and said, I really love you. I want to come back and be with you and my two daughters and be a part of this family. Uh, my grandmother, that is my mother's mother, basically looked at him and said, I'll check with mom. So she checked with her mother, my great-grandmother. She said, no way in hell is that man going to come back in here. And basically the two of them colluded and said to my grandfather, you're out of here. We don't want to see you again, and you have no right to see my children, not acknowledging that, of course, these were his children as well. Well, my grandfather basically said, okay, that's the way it is. I'm out of here. He left and basically was never seen again. I only saw my grandfather one time when I was 11 years old, and that encounter lasted about two or three minutes. I shook his hand. At that stage, he was uh, dying of brain cancer, and shortly thereafter, he actually died. My mother never spoke of my grandfather. She never said anything about who he was, what he did. I asked her many questions, but never got any information back. I didn't know anything about this story until after my mother died, and I began digging to see what was really true in my family system. When we set up everybody in the family system, it was very clear that I was the one in the family. I was the child that was taking on that energy. In other words, I was leaving my own family system because I had identified with his own energy. When I was able to clear that in that particular constellation, I found that I could easily come back home. I could be with my father who had dementia and was in a nursing home. I had no problem visiting with my brothers. I literally became, I was able to come back into the nest of my family system. And more importantly, this work was critical because now my children freely come to visit me, as will be the case of their own children if they decide to have children. It means then, because I've cleared this dynamic for myself in the family, it stops here. And so I'm not going to pass this on, or my grandfather's not going to pass this dynamic on to anybody else in the family system. I think the work is important to do for ourselves. It's also important to do for everybody else who comes along in the family system. Again, this is the work. A component of uh, Jumpstart to Wellness will be devoted uh, to giving uh, uh, individual volunteers the opportunity to clear out whatever entanglements may be holding you back or your children or your grandchildren. Back now to my interview with D. Wo. Would it matter, D, from your experience, whether a particular individual, for example, somebody who has the symptoms of Parkinson's, lost a mother or a father at a very early age, that is, they died at an early age? That's a really interesting question. Um, Actually, as you ask it, it's like, wow, that's pretty fascinating. It's something to ponder. Um, there are 
consequences, uh, I guess maybe, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but there are impacts systemically that happen when a child loses a parent when they're young. And essentially what we find is that the there's very often a tendency to want to follow that parent into death. Now, again, that is below the surface at a subconscious level. And it gets played out in a variety of different ways. Um, They may give up joy in their life. And so they take themselves out of living life fully um, as a way of trying to um, follow that parent into death. They may, you, you can see like, oh gosh, the people who have daredevil tendencies, typically have parents who died or had one parent die when they were young. We, we see that over and over. And then again, um, taking on illness and disease to, at a subconscious level, destroy their body so that they can exit this world. So certainly that could be a factor. Um, you know, just you know, as I say, the main theme or tendency is for that child at a subconscious level to want to follow that parent into death. And, of course, if you would talk to them, uh, of course they don't want to die. But there's something that already died inside of them, that died when that parent died, that they that they just have a pull to. They have a pull to, towards death. And sometimes one of the... Uh, the most powerful things this person can, can do is to choose life, to consciously say, you know, I choose life. When it's my time, I will go. Now, you know, here's a news flash: You're not going to go before your time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, do, you know, be healthy while you're here. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I know I'm being a little sarcastic there, but, you know, if you can't laugh at life, you know, Got to have a little fun with it here, but but that's you know, that's, that's that's really true. And I think that to look at the parent um, in your eyes, mind, and just have a conversation that says, "I miss you," you know, "I miss you," and when it's my time, I will come and join you. Until then, I will live, and to fully choose to take your life. There are many individuals and more and more each day that are contracting some symptoms of Parkinson's at a very early age. So let me just give you a scenario and ask you if this is plausible. A uh, person, a child, when they are 10 years old, loses their mother who dies at the age of 36. Mm-hmm. That person grows up, they live a very viable life, and when they get to the age of 36, they begin to have symptoms of Parkinson's. Could that be connected then? Sure. How, why would they deserve to live longer than their mother? And so if they are going to live longer, it's not going to be a full, vibrant, active life. They're going to right. be in some way debilitated. Yeah. yeah and, and so how does that person uh, override that tendency, that subconscious tendency? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's something that we work through in that constellation that that we can start to work with making those shifts to where they choose to live and choose to live healthy. And part of it is gaining permission. When they can see that they have permission from the parent to stay, then that can free them as well. It's just like, gosh, you know, you know, I said that phrase, and I was, again, being sarcastic of, well, why would they have a right to live any longer? But at the soul level, 
see that 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 resonates there of like oh well you know my mom died young um so i should die young well thoughts are powerful so one of the things we also have to do is is look at what are our thoughts creating and and are we um I mean, we don't want to negate reality and what's true, but we also want to surround our thoughts or surround ourselves with thoughts that are moving us in the direction that we want to go. And what happens oftentimes is we get our thoughts hijacked by what I call the family timeline. Um, They're not even really our thoughts, but they actually come from the thoughts of generations back as well. So becoming a watcher of our thoughts. Uh, I I like to uh, give people an exercise of, um, you know, just ten times every day, stop and think of what is it we were thinking of in that moment. So if you could set a timer to ring once an hour and then observe what were your thoughts in that moment, it gives you a really good idea of what's happening in your life and and what you are doing um, at the unconscious or subconscious level in either helping or hurting yourself. And what we find often is that we're hurting ourselves with the chatter that goes on. You know, we think that we're conscious in this world of what we're saying and what we're doing, but the truth is is we have so many thoughts going through that we don't even recognize what we are thinking. Yeah, I've done that exercise before, and it is surprising. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, whoa, my goodness, uh, what mm-hmm. negative thoughts I have creeping into this head of mine. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. It's quite surprising. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I want to clarify for everyone are really the mechanics. We've used the word constellation, setting up constellations, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I want to get very specific so people can really get a sense of how this works. Let's say we have a room full of 40 individuals, mm-hmm. and you're there as the facilitator. Mm-hmm. and a person says, yes, I'd like to um, have a constellation work done. Here's my issue. What happens next? Okay. Well, let me just also clarify that there are many different facilitators and facilitators work in many different ways. So I'm going to share what I will do. Um, and actually, as soon as the client says, I'm ready to work, I will ask for volunteers to leave the room, those that want to support them in in doing the constellation piece for them. So this might be four or five or six or however many people yeah, you might be needed. Yeah, typically four or five leave the room. Sometimes we only use two or three. Sometimes we use more, but, you know, it's typically four or five people will just leave the room and, and take a break. I always tell people whenever you need to take a break, you volunteer to be in a <laughs> yeah, That's right. That's a good time to go to the bathroom. Right. And, and, and that person's family does not need to be there. Is that correct? No. It's just them. No. Just that, yeah, just that person. And they can be, but typically we just work with the client uh, themselves. So they, but they have access to their family information just from, from them being present. Um, and, in fact, I do not encourage them to bring children with them to a constellation uh, unless they are adult children. Um, and then I'm very cautious because there's, I mean, the, the issues of a parent really are for the parent and not for the child. Right. So I think it's just best for, for them to come with the, themselves or if they want to bring a partner, then that's fine. So, so those few people would leave the room. And then we would hear what their issue was. 
so they would be presenting in very short detail just what they're suffering from. So we wouldn't do a whole lot of history um, other than, um, gosh, we don't need to know about your brother's mother's sister's cat that <laughs> you don't need to know the name of the cat. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's more just here's what's going on, and of course, you know, with m- many of your clients, it would be just I'm suffering from Parkinson's. Okay, and and how? What is the maybe you know maybe one more thing about that? What's what is what's the what's the most difficult thing for you, or what are you worried about? What are you concerned about? You know, because because that could be you know it's like I'm worried about my children or. Or the symptoms are hard to bear. I don't know what your, you know, what the issue is. So you would uh, formulate that in two to three sentences. And it, typically, what happens, and I, I just don't know how else to explain it, except that I get a hit um, as you're talking. I get some sort of hit as to how to proceed. And so then we'll we'll set up. Oftentimes, when we're working with disease, I will set up the disease itself. So I might set up Parkinson's, and I'll say more about setting up in a moment. But we'll decide what all representatives we're going to have to begin with. And so I may very simply just start with you and the Parkinson's. Um, I may start with you. Let's say your let me, let me say your dad had Parkinson's, or you said your mom had Parkinson's. Oh, yeah. So okay, so maybe we'll set up you, your mom, and Parkinson's. And so we'd say, all right, the first one's going to be mom. Second one will be Parkinson's. Third one will be Bobby. Now, now we'll bring the representatives in the room. They have no idea anything about what we've discussed. But everybody else in the room that heard Does. that will know what you're setting up. Is that right. right? But so, the people outside don't have a clue. All they know is they're going to they're walking in the room. Right. Okay. So the other people that are in the room are helping hold the container for the work. Now, um so the client can set them up or sometimes I'll set them up. It doesn't really matter. And so we'll just say for the purposes of the example, I'm going to set them up. Now, when you I, say set up, you mean that you have to stand them up, or what does that mean <laughs> to set them up? <laughs> I'm, I'll, 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 get, I'll explain that. So let's say they've just come into the room, and they're now standing in the middle of the circle. So we've, we're going to use three people, so I'll tell two people to sit down. We might need them later. We usually, if someone's sitting down, we don't tell them what's going on or share anything because we probably we might need them later. And then, so these three people are standing. They're just randomly standing. And either myself or the client will come behind them and put our hands on their shoulders. And then we just feel where it is they want to be placed in the room and i don't know that's that they want to be placed but it's just we just feel we might just feel a movement or a turn or gosh they want to be facing this direction now we don't like sculpt we don't do sculpturing like get down on your knees put your arm this way or put so a finger just, here and a or shoulder this way it's right. just placing just, the body in a particular we uh, just stand them in a pl- place in the room and and they could be facing in any direction then right and what happens is even just from the placement in the room, we learn information. And this is where the training comes in because it teaches us you know, what to recognize and what we might see and what we might feel. And then um, the person who's the representative, just I just ask them to relax, keep their hands loose by their side, uh, and 
see what happens. And you will start to, you know, the, the group around will start to see something happen. Now, when I do it, do a constellation, I allow people to move. And if they really feel like they need to say something, they can speak. Um, a lot of facilitators don't allow you to speak. Um, but I found sometimes sometimes words can be extremely powerful and give just the right information. So let's say that um, the person representing the Parkinson's disease, well, they may start, well, what it happens often is that the disease will start to shake. The person representing the disease will shake. Or they may look at Bobby and just be really drawn to Bobby. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you've placed all three of the people uh-huh. somewhere in the room, so they're right. all standing and looking in some kind of direction, and you're asking the representatives then to simply just just check in with themselves and see mm-hmm. how they feel or see what they're thinking. Yep, and I give them permission. It's like, you know, you can look around, you can move if you want to move. Um, just just kind of be present with what is. And, the, and as a representative, if I happen to be one of those three representatives, I don't know what I'm supposed to be representing. I don't know if right. it's a person. I don't know if it's the disease. I don't know if it's an entity or a thing. I don't know what it is, right? Right. Okay. And so, you won't – it's like people that have never been a representative. It doesn't matter. You don't have to have any training for this. You will start to feel something. Or, you know, it's just – I mean, it just happens. It's just organic um you may be drawn to a certain place so like the parkinson's may just want to run over and well they wouldn't run over because the movements of the soul are very slow but they may be very drawn to the mother so let's say you know it could be that those two are very drawn together well that would show me that the parkinson's disease is attached to the mother even though, let's say, you have the disease, or you know, we're just using that for an example, if, mm. if you had it, but the disease went over to the mother. Well, it's not even, and, and the disease would even say, I'm not interested in him. She's the one I, that I just adore, or, you know, or, or whatever, but that you would see that attraction there. Or you may see the disease not attracted to either of them, mm-hmm. to where it's really doesn't even have anything to do with the family system. So then we start to, uh, you know, we make more movements or bring in other representatives and see what needs to happen so that the real issue emerges. So uh, it's like the client presents an issue, which is is very real, of course, um, but then the core of it gets revealed through the constellation and then sometimes we're able to make healing movements to help bring relief to the system. So the idea is once the reality of the situation is seen, then there's possibility for actually healing to happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. And everybody else that's observing, they're uh, really just observing and holding space then. I mean, they're not a part of this system in any way. That's a really hard question to ask. Typically, they're holding space, but sometimes something will happen within the circle that someone may actually start being a representative. So it just it really it just depends, but for the most part they're holding the space for the work to happen. So representatives uh basically it's uh it's a little hard to describe uh mm-hmm. but as it sounds like that uh feelings come through, they may be feelings of happiness or sadness or anger or rage, they may want to be closer to somebody else in the constellation, they may be farther away, they may want to walk around, they might want to rant, 
They, they might want to lay on the ground. Lay on the ground. They may want to uh, curl up. They may want to sit down on a chair. They may want to leave the room. I mean, anything could happen. Right? Anything could happen. And they don't. Know, and again, the representative doesn't know what it's all about. Yeah. But yeah. everybody um, else who is observing. You, I just want to share something really funny. Is that uh, I was doing a constellation that um, a woman was having trouble with her dog, and so we literally set up the dog a representative for the dog and this gal comes in and we place her and she gets this strange look on her face and she said well i gotta get down on my hands and knees and she gets down on her hands and knees and she gets this perplexed look and she says i don't know why but i just want to roll over i I need to roll over that's really funny (laughs) so it's like here this poor woman she's like i don't know what's going on but, uh, you know, and that's part of it is as a representative letting go. It's, like, it's so nice when you don't have a story. Um, in another constellation there was, uh, you know, everyone was getting very open and coming together. And, of course, you know, it's after a whole process and, and holding each other and being very loving. And this one representative was just exiting and leaving and wanting to walk away and and not wanting to be a part of it and the representative shared later she's like well I can't you know it's like I just couldn't participate in that I you know I didn't understand why I was leaving you know why wouldn't I want to be a part of that because her conscious mind is saying hey that's good stuff over there why are you leaving well she was representing grief in the family system and the grief had been released Oh. And was no longer needed there. So of course, Hallelujah. She's leaving. She's ready to go. Yeah, yeah. So, so at the conscious level, again, it doesn't make sense, but there, there it is again. <laughs> All the people that are representatives are told who they're represent, representing at some point here in this experience. Right. Yeah, so they understand yeah. who it is, right. and they get feedback from uh, other people in the group about mm-hmm. what might have happened that they might not have been aware of. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, usually at the end we do a, a debriefing, mm-hmm. and sometimes in the through the constellation something some some things are said that it starts to become obvious as to who's who. So, but eventually the story gets revealed. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a way then if there are some places that are the roots or origins of a disease to be able to detect those origins and clear them, literally right. clear them. Mm-hmm. And is it also the case then that uh, children can be profoundly affected by this work? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the possibility that a particular condition or illness or set of symptoms might pass on to a child can actually be uh, facilitated and cleared if a person decides to uh, volunteer to have this experience. Right, that is something that can happen. Mm-hmm. So we'll continue with our discussion with T in just a moment. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and I am interviewing D.O. I'll be facilitating constellations uh, for individuals who are participants in Jump Start to Wellness on November 30th and December 1st at the Little Creek Resort Hotel just north of Olympia, Washington. If uh, you're interested in finding out more about the opportunity to participate in these exciting, fascinating, and I might also say terribly fun experiences, you can get more information by clicking on the link if you're looking at the radio program page for Parkinson's Recovery where it says Jump Start to Recovery. 
there's a link on my main website, parkinsonsrecovery.com, to jumpstart to wellness, where you can get more information about that. And, of course, you can always email me at the following email, robert, R-O-B-E-R-T, at, and it's two words both together, parkinsonsrecovery.com. Or you can go onto the search engines and simply enter the two words separately, Parkinson's and the word recovery, and the first entry that shows up on the page will be parkinsonsrecovery.com. If you're signed up and registered and planning on coming to Jumpstart to Wellness and you're coming with someone else, that's, uh, remember, a a two-for-one deal where the other person that gets to come can come at no extra or additional cost, I'd like to invite you to encourage uh, the person you're coming with to also listen to this interview. When I facilitate the uh, constellations for volunteers uh, at Jumpstart to Wellness, I'm not going to be giving any explanation about what we're going to be doing. I'm going to simply do it. So for those uh, individuals that might want to have a preview of uh, one of the activities that we have planned at Jumpstart to Wellness, then it's a good idea to encourage them to listen to this program just as you have listened. Back now to Dee Wolf. Dee, you are the producer of the U.S. Conference on Systematic Constellation Work that's coming up September 29th. Tell us uh, something about that. Well, we have facilitators that are coming in from all around the world, and the number of facilitators in the U.S. as well will be coming together to do uh, present a conference that will be for Uh, anybody actually, people that have never been exposed to the work, to people that have been facilitating for a number of years. So there will be different workshops and breakouts, and one of the nice things about this conference is there's opportunity to sign up to be guaranteed to have your constellation done for you so that you can be guaranteed to have your, your work done when you're there. So yes, that happens in September. The first day, the 29th, is a one-day pre-conference on healing the wounds of the nation, which I think will be just fascinating. Then followed by um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with breakouts and sessions, multiple sessions, so that you can just see a number of different facilitators and a number of different styles and learn all sorts of things about the work. And then the last two days will be, uh, there's a post-conference with mostly international facilitators for that one that will be, we'll call it like grounding the experience where it will be full-day workshops where you can really truly get immersed in a workshop with one presenter at that time. So it's going to be a very exciting workshop and would just love to invite anyone listening to come and, and learn more about this work and experience it firsthand. How do people find out more about this conference? Well, they can visit the website, which is www.constellationsusa.com. Um, we've had some problems with that website, so if, if you can't get through it through there, use .info, and it'll get you all the information and who's coming and how to get registered. How do people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about your work? Okay, probably the best thing to do is to email me 
at d d e e at d o d e e y o h dot com. So it's just my name spelled out d at d o dot com. You can visit my website. It's uh, kind of a little bit outdated and doesn't have as much of the constellation work um, listed, but you can see who I am and at least uh, connect to me visually at uh, my website, which is just deyo.com, D-E-E-Y-O-H.com. Where in the United States physically are you located? Well, at the moment, <laughs> I um, live in an old hospital in Marshall, Missouri with my husband part-time, and then I also um, have a residence part-time in Charlottesville, Virginia, and looking for another part-time residence somewhere warm in the winter, if you got any suggestions. <laughs> oh, great. Do you do uh, phone consultations on constellation work? Um, I do um, do some. Probably I'm on sabbatical now until February, but uh, starting February 2010, I will be back to doing workshops and and we can do phone sessions. I really uh, encourage people though if they've never experienced it for the first time to do to experience something in person. But for consultations and and talking about it, then certainly we can. I can work with people over the phone. Tell people just a bit about qualifications to be a family constellation facilitator. I'm so glad you asked because this is actually um, an industry that is not regulated in the United States. So when you are looking at different facilitators, uh, it's, you want to make sure that you are finding out what that background is. For example, you know, even though you mentioned that I've been certified by Bert Hellinger, and I did spend you know a couple years working very closely with him. Um, there, it takes more than just that. Uh, there's because what he's doing now is certifying people in new methods and updated methods that he's doing. So someone that's been certified by him but has not gone through a formal training is still um, would not be very qualified, in my opinion which, and that's all it is, is my opinion, because they don't have the theoretical background and training that you and I went through a number of years ago. So you want to make sure somebody has been through a full training program, which lasts um, a minimum of a year in duration. Um, also, I think probably like how many, how many people have they learned from? Uh, how many constellations have they actually done? We, you know, I've run into people that have been trained for 10 years, but they've only done five constellations. So... You know, it's yeah. just a matter of, and, and part of that is also tuning in to who you resonate with. I know a number of people have asked me about training programs, and each person uh, really does present the work in a in a unique way. So um, it's best to really experience a number of different facilitators. So if you go to a workshop and it's like, oh, I don't like this and I don't resonate with that, I would encourage you to go to another one, <laughs> someone else. Because, you know, there's um, you know people work in so many different ways that um, there's not a consistent standard. So um, you know, so I would just you know encourage people to you know make sure that they have been through a traditional training program as well as had the follow-up advanced training as well. Dio, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been a genuinely fascinating discussion. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always wonderful just to be with you. Hope to talk with you again soon. All right. You take care now. Bye. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. I will be facilitating family constellations for volunteers at Jumpstart to Wellness 
I believe it's one wonderful way to be able to get at unconscious dynamics that may be slowing down or obstructing or blocking the recovery process. Sometimes we're not even aware of what seems to be mucking us up. And constellations are a fun, exhilarating, and an insightful way of being able to identify something that might have happened at a, a time long ago and far away that is actually responsible for why you may be finding it difficult to be able to see sustained relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. I know there are many people who tell me they're trying one thing after another, and while they are improving steadily, the progress is not as fast as they would like to see. Uh, I believe that uh, it, it's possible that uh, a dynamic in the family system may be still present, and once that's clear, then healing can happen. What I really like most about family constellation work is that once the dynamic is identified and once it's cleared, it's done. It's not like having to go to a therapist where you are talking through a problem week after week, year after year, and it kind of fizzles about, gets a little better, but never really resolves. In uh, the work of family constellations, uh, the fact of the matter is once the dynamic is identified, it's cleared and it's done. And so that aspect of it, for me, is truly exciting. So uh, I invite everyone to be present and to join us at Jumpstart to Recovery, uh, November 30th and December 1st, where we'll be spending and devoting part of that experience to doing family constellation work. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that you are on the road to recovery. Good day.